Hello and welcome to Do Not Steal, a podcast about tabletop criticism and, more importantly, ROCs. Um, I'm the big dog who's a D&D derivative, Olivia Joseph. And I'm Hannah Yola. Um, I, I do want to thank you there for calling out how uh, the second half of the episode is the more important half of the episode. It is. Yeah. Look. No, I, no disrespect I my, to the tabletop criticism. I put my effort into it, you know? I try yeah. to make it as good as I can. But I'm here I'm here for the girls. That's right. And actually, I think the last three episodes has been the guys. It's been Olivia for the fellas the last few episodes. But I'm back to girls. Yeah. Um, Olivia's fella arc is concluded. And we are now back in the fertile realm of girl. Uh, listen, there's got to be balance in the world, right? Yeah, I'd say so. That's what that's what Star Wars is all about. <laughs> the two cosmic forces, girls and the fellas. And Anakin, uh, like you know, he wasn't like s- fully slacking off in this regard, but Anakin felt a dark side because he wasn't enough of a femboy. Hmm. I would. Uh, I okay. <laughs> That's true. He thought he was... <laughs> wait, wait, I just said that to hurt you, but now you're saying <laughs> that it's true. He, okay, Anakin Skywalker, he thought he was he was doing it for the girls, but actually he was doing it for the fellas. Yeah. And that was his problem, his lack of vision, his lack of clarity. That's right. Um, one of these days, one or both of us is just going to make Anakin Skywalker on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, knowing our luck, one of these days, both of us are, g- are going to make Anakin Skywalker on the same episode. If we if we have dueling Anakins on an episode, then I will die happy. <laughs> I will put I will put uh, the fucking I will put the fucking duel of the fates under the entire episode. <laughs> Just gonna go ahead and see if I can do a YouTube search for duel of the fates trap remix. <laughs> oh, it's gotta exist. Uh, yeah, it auto-completes with Duel of the Fates Trap Remix 10 hours, so... Nice, 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 nice. Seeing a lot of results for this. <laughs> seeing one that has Rick and Morty in the thumbnail. <laughs> oh, man, this is a curse darker than anything the Demon Lord could possibly dream up. Hey, what's the Demon Lord? Um... I don't know. (laughs) And I think that's one of the problems with the game we're talking about, which is Robert J. Schwab's Shadow of the Demon Lord. Mm Mm-hmm. Released in... It was like 2016? Yeah, the copyright's for 2015. Yeah, um, at least around about 2015, 2016, after a successful Kickstarter campaign. Um, this is a game that was made by, uh, primarily by, as you said, Robert J. Schwalb, editing done by Jennifer Clark Wilkes and Miranda Horner. Um, and Schwalb is the main character that we're going to be talking about, um, throughout this episode. He's the main character of Twitter today. That's right, yeah. Um, before we started recording, you called him your enemy, like, three times. (laughs) So that's um, just like okay. a little sneak preview for our overall sentiment towards this game. Let's let's be fair to past Olivia, who said, uh, "Might 
he might be my enemy. Okay. He's certainly not my friend. Well, I think over the next hour or so, it's usually around how long our tabletop criticism sections last, I think we can figure out whether he's your enemy. <laughs> so, uh, Robert here. Yes. Can I call you Robert, buddy? All right. Um, so he was previously a longtime designer on Dungeons and Dragons. That's right. And we said that we would not do Dungeons and Dragons, but Hannah made a compelling case for the idea that it might be interesting to look into more independent RPGs that are very clearly taking inspiration from Dungeons and Dragons yeah. to see where, like, to see where that strain of design goes. Yeah, and, you know? and like, I think that there's a, a lot of people who come to the conclusion basically that, like, Dungeons and Dragons sucks, but it's the only game in town, or, like, Dungeons and Dragons sucks, but moving too far away from it might, like, you know, be too much of a, um, like, a culture shock, I guess, for, like, uh, my players that I could play with, um, or who just, you know, want to, like, iterate on what they see as the good ideas in it without, you know, being beholden to what they see as the bad ideas in it. So there's, like, a big market for games that kind of, like, take off of D&D in some ways, um, use heavy mechanical inspiration, um, but try to be like post-D&D games uh, in an effect. We've already looked at one of those, uh, that being Lancer, which was very, very much inspired by 4th edition D&D in particular. Um, this one has strong inspirations from 5th edition, uh, some from 4th edition, and some as well from Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which isn't a system that I'm too familiar with, but I know that like in the preface, uh, Robert cites it as an important inspiration for him, and I think that it contributed to, um, if the second-hand knowledge that I have is accurate, some of the more interesting parts of the game involving like cool modular character builds. Um, but yeah, it's it's... Someone who is very much within the context of D&D, who had designed for it for, I think, like, probably over a decade, um, written some books. I know that he worked on 3.5. Yeah, so. yeah. He, he was, like, a lead writer on a number of 3.5 supplements, um, including, and we might come back to this later... One that has the most maligned class in the history of that game because its core feature doesn't work. Um, Robert. 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 Were did you, you, too, did, were you, you did you do that shit again in Shadow of the Demon Lord? Robert, were you too busy listening to metal music to to write your class features, Robert? Robert. Um, this is mean. I don't. I don't want to put so much personal focus on on Mr. Schwab no. himself. No, because I, I, I think that, like, I, I I think that there's a lot that both of us dislike about this game, but I also can look through the design process or, you know, um, the imprints of the design process, so to speak, through a sympathetic lens, because, yeah, I think that this does make a lot of good faith efforts to be a post-D&D in a way that could be interesting for people who are burned out on D&D itself. Um, but it, it's choices of what to take and what to leave behind are often extremely, extremely bizarre. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think because I think the thing is I I'm I would not call myself a fan of this game. I think a lot of it just comes from like I disagree with the concept of of making like a D&D inspired post D&D game mm-hmm. is my thing. Yeah. You know, so it's except except of course um that both of us would sink hundreds of hours into a 3DS or Nintendo Switch game called D&D Tactics that is based on 4th edition if it existed. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it doesn't exist so our souls are clean. That's right, yeah. We're <laughs> innocent. Our corruption <laughs> rating is 0. <laughs> no, my corruption rating is definitely very high because I've stolen a lot of uh, property oh, from no. uh from um business people. So, you know, my soul is just damned to hell. Wait, oh my god, is that something that can raise your corruption rating in this game? Yes. <sighs> okay, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I think that that does let us segue into like the basic elevator pitch of this, which is that it is kind of like a D&D like that is also dark, edgy, apocalyptic fantasy. Um, so it does borrow a lot from Warhammer. It borrows a lot from like heavy metal album covers um, it borrows a lot from these ideas of, like, you know, uh, kind of leaning into the idea that D&D is this, like, satanic thing from, from like, the 80s moral panics. Um, and it's basically that, like, yeah, you know, this is a, a dark world. It's kind of, like, early industrial era fantasy um, that is on the brink of destruction, political chaos, the emperor's been assassinated... Um, Rightly so, but we'll talk about that later. Oh my god, we'll talk about that later. (laughs) It's so (laughs) funny because, like, every time I try to give, like, the the most basic context on what this game is, there's, like, this huge temptation to just dive into a 15-minute tangent on, like, why this little detail sucks ass. Um, Um, Can I take a sidebar simply just to read very quickly um, what you... uh, the different acts that can uh, gain you corruption? Sure. Because this um, this is a game that has both an insanity meter and a corruption meter. Yeah, baby. That's right. Um, acts that can increase your corruption rating include murder, uh-huh. harming an innocent by spreading a disease, poisoning a well, or being reckless with magic. Sure. Stealing for personal gain. Uh-huh. Learning spells from dark traditions such as forbidden or necromancy using certain relics. Hold on. I feel those, like those are some examples for of personal gain is, is doing a lot of work in that sentence. Robert Robert recognizes that sometimes it's okay to steal, yeah. but other times, not so much. Uh-uh. Um, yeah. Uh, notably, something that's not in there is like using the school of magic that is just mind control. Yes. Uh, you, you, you know you're on like you're in a bad place when uh, Harry Potter has clearer moral footing than you on a specific <laughs> issue. Oh boy. Anyway. Well, I mean, even in Harry Potter, Harry himself uses like twenty mind control spells, and it's it means nothing. I have no choice but to believe you. <laughs> There's a chapter where they have to like sneak into uh, sneak into the bank, and Harry Potter's just like mind control spell, mind control spell, mind control spell. Okay, okay. And I, nobody I just, comments I, on it. All I remember is just that like there's the three spells that are supposed to be like the most evil ones, and one of yeah. them is the mind control spell. He uses 
two out of three of those over the course of the series. Not good. Anyway, Not good. um, so Shadow of the Demon Lord, right? Uh, yes. You are a fantasy adventurer in a world where there are demons and shit is on fire and you are going on adventures and uh, trying to survive and win your fortune. Yeah. Um, It has a lot of like, you know, um, I'm not sure. Did it like come out at a time where this would have made sense? Because like I was immediately just saying like there's obviously a lot of Bloodborne inspiration, but like. Yeah, the games came out, like, fairly close to each other, but, you know, one might say that if it's not direct inspiration, then it's part of, like, the same wave. Yeah. Um, I would I would say them, I would call them more kind of, like, contemporaries than yeah, inspiration. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's like, if you know Bloodborne, then, like, you can do a Bloodborne-type game within this framework. Um, that's about, like, you know, again, I this... I would say Berserk is my... Maybe just because I've got Berserk on the mind, but that's, like, sure. mainly what I'm thinking about. Yeah, I I don't know much of Berserk. I watched, like, the last few episodes of the anime, like, many years ago, but uh, that tracks with what I know of it. Mm-hmm. Um, just, like, dark dark fantasy, blood and guts. Um, yeah. There's a spell that can make someone shit themselves to death. Yeah, there's, it's, there's a lot of, like, um, very kind of, like childishly edgy stuff in here it's like you Mm -hmm. look at like the forbidden school of magic which is like the darkest and most evil and twisted one and it's just like like you said make someone shit themselves to death make someone's dick fall off and i I cast i cast ray of dick fall off yeah it's like wait hold up is this the most evil thing you can think of um it's it's it does feel like a game that like doesn't have much of an imagination sometimes and is like mm-hmm. beholden to these like very surface level ideas of what makes for interesting dark fantasy mm-hmm. um but yeah it's the flavor of it like the the whole narrative frame is like consistently just a little bit like Ugh, i'm not sure how much i like that i'm not sure how much i want to be like thinking about that or focusing about that if i were to be playing a game in the system Mm-hmm. Um, like as an example, there seem to be a whole lot of situations where like whole like races of people are systematically like oppressed or put into these like servile roles or cast out of society, but they kind of deserve it. Um, like three of the the uh, ancestries, I think they're called, that you can have as a player are dwarves who it briefly mentions were like cursed for their vanity and greed by the gods and are now like forced to to toil and dig for treasure forever um Mm -hmm. there's orcs who are built as like you know magical super soldiers effectively um and and enslaved for that purpose and who have recently like you know broken off those chains the orc king assassinated the emperor but um, in a bad way. But a in a bad way, revol- yeah. Revolt, but in a bad way. Yeah, there's like, you know, it tells you that there's options for like playing a good orc, um, and and like, you know, in, in the suggested personalities or outlooks that you could have as an orc player, um, there's like, you know, ones that 
genuinely strive for the liberation of your people. There's ones that like want to atone for the evil that they were like forced to do in the service of the emperor. Um, but like, it does seem like the default is like, no, these guys are, are actually just evil. And it's a bad thing that the slaves revolted. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just like so many, the goblins too, you know, it's like they were banished by the, the fairies for some unknown forgotten crime and now they're like these you know grubby little thieves that just slink around in the shadows and make things a little worse and grubby little mental illness thieves yeah yeah and it's like i mean same relatable but (laughs) all goblins have an odd habit um which like you I, i you have to roll on these tables right you don't have to it suggests that you do but like it does say choose an option from the table at some points. Mm-hmm. So, so like, so like yeah, th- th- to, what, to clarify what Olivia is saying here, there's a number of like tables. So like if you're creating a human character, there's a table for human background where you roll a d20. Human personality where you roll 3d6. Human religion where you roll 3d6. Human age, build, and appearance. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the suggested method of character creation is to just roll those dice and see what comes out. Um, but they're also like, yeah, you can just fudge it and do whatever you want if you um, have a better idea. Uh, but yeah, sorry, you were you were making a larger point with that. I was just saying that like every goblin is supposed to have like an odd habit, which is like supposed to set them apart as like abject and weird. Um, and And a lot of them are just like, symptoms of mental illness is the thing yeah for sure like um, doing like doing actions that are socially inappropriate like keeping uh, keeping a specific item on you at all times wearing like weird clothing or like uh refusing to wear shoes you know just like stuff yeah. that's just like uh you know i i have extensive background working with uh people who have intellectual disabilities and i go down this list and i'm like man Fuck you, Robert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's just it's weird. The the background tables also like they seem really kind of just hit or miss. Not necessarily even in terms of quality, but in terms of like how much of an actual hook they give you. Um so like goblin background, right? Here are two options for it that are uh uh juxtaposed right next to each other um you snuck into Elfheim and stole a lock of hair from the fairy queen okay great if i roll that then it gives me a great idea of like what this character is like you know what their goals are what their you know probably capabilities would be like um it just seems like a a basic but an interesting hook uh right next to that on the chart is you killed and ate 100 diseased rats. King. <laughs> it's just like, wait. Some of these like have mechanical benefits and others don't. Um, like, there's backgrounds where it's just like, you start with 2d6 gold pieces because you came into some money. And that's weighed against, like, you know, something interesting happened to you in your past. Um, it, I, I like in theory the idea of like having these 
uh, charts that can help you build a character um, by just rolling a die and combining those ideas. Um, and it, it feels like something that, like, you know, would be potentially interesting to do as, like, a, a live action on the podcast. But I think that there's just too many duds on those lists for that to work, yeah. really. I think these tables and then a later part of the character creation section where it asks you to answer, where it asks you to answer a bunch of questions about things that your character thinks and, and believes. Mm-hmm. I would put all of that in the general category of like measures that are in the game to try to get D and D nerds to role play. Yeah. And like, cause I think, there's like I think this kind of similar I think similar like background tables and stuff like this are in some editions of D and D, but I think the the in Shadow of the Demon Lord and I think in like uh, uh, these tables and other things are really trying to get you to think about like what does your character look like what's their history what's their personality how do they think about these things and it's like trying to steer you into creating a character who is not just a bundle of stats but like has a character which is something i can appreciate the old like sloppy yeah the old like you know criticism of dnd which is a, a fair criticism in a lot of ways is that it kind of leads to these parties that are often referred to as murder hobos um who just like kind of have no place in the world they just wander around completing adventures and killing monsters and accumulating magic items right it's they're they're kind of just layered on top of the world without ever like sinking into it and i think that a lot of these are some interesting good faith attempts to make your characters feel like they're more organically part of the world it's just that a the attempts to do so aren't that great and b the world that you're trying to make them fit into also isn't that great. Like, there is a professions mechanic, which is like, this mm-hmm. is what your character did either before they became an adventurer or, like, in between them, like, going yeah. on adventures. Like, so, like, kind of like the opposite of what you said. This is literally an attempt to tie each character into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, though... For one, when I was making my character, I ended up getting, like, I could, I had a choice of either speaking, like, six languages or having six professions. Right. (laughs) For my character, who is uh, 17 years old. And it just felt felt very much like, it just felt very much like proc gen nonsense at that point. And I I ignored some of that because I was like, well, this doesn't quite sense. It's like, you too can be one of the playable characters from Watch Dogs Legion. <laughs> I am. Hello. My name is, uh, my name is Olivia. I am a 14-year-old incredibly attractive human woman who is a professional, rolling the dice, a professional gambler and a thug <laughs> and a militia member. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the those could actually kind of work with each other, but yeah. you can also get roles that are like, you are an academic studying architecture who is a, uh, who is a detective. <laughs> Just like those and are also a street urchin, life, and also a street urchin. Yeah, um, 
it's it's kind of absurd. <laughs> um, but you know, I I so the like the uses of these are that um, they kind of like replace like a D and D skill system. So instead of like having proficiencies and skills or like old three point five edition point buys, um, it's just like you know, in non combat situations, you can say like, hey. I have the former job of being a, um, like a guard, um, just, you know, like a, a guardsman for like some nobles estate. So I will know things about like habits of patrols and, and how to avoid them and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it's, they're, they're used to kind of just like allow you to bring the history of your character into mechanical situations. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it is again a cool idea, but because it is both trying to be a D and D skill system, and like, well, the rogue types have more skills. Everyone knows that that's something that happens in D and D. And then also, like, these are your jobs. It's like inherently you just end up, like you said, with characters that probably shouldn't have six jobs, but have six jobs. Mm-hmm. And like, kind of like. And often when they will give you a, like, opportunity to pick another profession, it will also come with, like, pick another language. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that just really doesn't make sense for the character. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, usually, I I don't know if it's different in um, the the rogue path, because I went down, like, the the priest path, um, where it's, like, it gives you a couple of, um, you know, says, like, take another religious profession, take another religious profession, take another religious profession. It's like, wait, how many of these do I actually, like, need? These all kind of seem like they're a little redundant with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, there's, there's like, acolyte of the new god, and there's also devotee, and there's also minister, and there's also evangelist. And it's like, aren't those kind of all, like, the same thing? <laughs> like, like, like I, they're I, fuzzy. Yeah, like they're they're fuzzy, and I'm sure there are corner cases. But I'm also sure that I will like if if I ended up picking all four of those, end up in a bunch of situations where it's just like, well, I have four jobs that apply to this role. Mm-hmm. Or like, what does a you know, what does an acolyte do versus a devotee? Like, what are the differences in how those yeah. professions, of which there is no elaboration, it's just kind of like, here's a name that you're supposed to be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's the fundamental difference between being an acolyte and a devotee? Can somebody tell me? Yeah. No? Okay, great. It, if I had to guess, it's that, like, the devotee is studying, or, or sorry, the acolyte is studying a little more to be like an actual member of the clergy as opposed to just someone who's really religiously faithful. But again, if that's the case, then how is Acolyte of the New God different from minister or evangelist? And it's just like, it feels like there's a lot of overlap such that even if you, even if you look at two and you can find a distinction between those two, that you probably just conflated one of them with something else as well. Anyway, like we like, said, a lot of good faith attempts to try to ground characters in the world that are still just like... And I do want to stress the point that, like, I think a lot of where this fucks up is that it's just still really wedded to being a D&D-like game. Um, mm-hmm. 
like that whole idea again of you need six professions and thus because we have a mechanical framework where characters can have six professions then we need to make the professions a little more granular so that we don't you know end up with a situation where that character with six professions just has literally every job in the world and because they're granular a lot of those gradations kind of don't make sense or or don't feel like they mean a whole lot so it all just stems as a lot of the game's problems do from just trying not to change too much from dnd mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. something else that this game doesn't change from dnd is it the core role mm, yeah it's that uh but very briefly mm-hmm. it's shit like uh charts for how much weight you can lift based on your strength score or charts oh for like overland travel speeds I was just looking at that and I'm like, bro, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. And like that, I that t- shit is in there literally just because it was in D and D and it's like, you know that you could just like call this a strength challenge roll to lift something heavy and you could like apply a bane if it's something particularly heavy. Uh, very quick aside, banes and boons are like this game's version of, you know, bonuses, advantage, disadvantage. Um, if you have a number of, boons then you roll that many d6s and pick the highest one add that to your d20 roll and if you have banes you do the same but subtract and they cancel each other out um so yeah that's like the the base resolution mechanic and as you were saying it is still based off d20s Mm -hmm. which i think i don't think we need to say more than we already said in the first episode which is like rolling a d20 and then your options are just like you do it or you don't do it is a really boring resolution mechanic yeah and i i um god i think that like so i i think this might be the place for me to get into my my hottest take about this game before we start talking about like the stuff that it does right which is that like modular character building which we'll probably get into a little later um but it's the idea that like I think this game would be way fucking better served as a Forge in a Dark game. Um, I I agree that it needs a better resolution mechanic because Boon like this D twenty roll and Banes and Boons thing is really not working for it. No, and I, here's here's my high level like argument for why that's the case. Because um, you know something that I did learn as we were going through more of these systems is that like I like Forge in a Dark as a framework a whole lot but it's not really well suited for a lot of tones for a lot of structures etc i think it would really be well suited for this and what that comes down to is that again just like if you're trying to do this dark desperate fantasy where it's like there will be sections of the book that tell you like some fights aren't winnable and the forces of darkness are really strong and you're not going to be able to just combat every one of them And it's like, okay, well, then why is 80% of the book about how to, like, build and optimize your combat? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, why are those the only systems that, like, have any detail to them? If Why is, like, why have you taken out the, like, the charisma stat, which used to mean, like, which which used to be D&D's, like, one little little breadcrumb thrown to the idea that, like, 
you can solve problems by talking to people. Like, why have you taken that out and turned, like, and been like, oh, yeah, you can make a social interaction if you conceive it as, like, an intellect attack you are making against somebody's willpower. Exactly. Rob, that's fucking stupid. Yeah, it's it's also just, like... I think that that this is something that you had just brought up as we got onto this topic that like um if this is a game where everything is desperate and failure is expected and the forces of darkness are so strong that you're not just going to be able to steamroll over them every time then why is there no fail forward mechanic mm-hmm. why is it just you roll the d20 and in like 95% of the situations I was able to find in the book you either just succeed at it or nothing happens. Um, why is it that, you know, if this is all about monsters being so powerful that you have to, like, run from them or, or find ways around the situation, that there are really no ways around the situation except for just combat? Um, it's mm-hmm. not like a, a situation where, like, oh, the rogues are, like, scouting ahead and gathering intel and the priests are creating like these zones of holy power that give you a bulwark and the warriors are doing guerrilla warfare to take out the smaller demons before the bigger fight happens and stuff like that right it feels like it would really benefit from a system that has uh mechanics that benefit from you failing roles that understands how to play in desperate situations without you just, you know, being at one-tenth of your health, that is about preparation and planning in order to even the odds against these overwhelming forces. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, what I've just described there is a force in a dark game. Yeah. This game has, like, one idea of, like, what is a consequence that should happen from difficult situations? And it's like, your character dies. Yeah. Or your character, like, runs away and suffers 1d4 insanity points. Uh Uh-huh. Which is just not compelling or interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh it's, It's so weird that, like, I think that the stuff that they're trying to go for with that, like, dark and desperate setting... Uh, with that structure of, like, you're never becoming, like, this, you know, adventurer that has this huge store of magical items and can just knock over anything that looks at them. Um, it's just so incompatible with, like, the structures of D&D that they have. Yeah, I think that, like, the... It is just kind of, like, the... it. I, I feel like a problem is that the... Shadow of the Demon Lord is, like, trying to branch off into a different genre and tone of fantasy from D&D. Like, it's trying to set its baseline at a, at a, in a different fantasy genre, but it is taking, it's taking so much of its um, mechanical cues from D&D and D&D's, like, the way that D&D tries to mechanize its genre of fantasy. And I think not only are those mechanical cues, like, bad, <laughs> but I think they also <laughs> don't really work for, like you said, they don't really they don't really fit the themes of the story that the game is, like, telling you that this game is about playing, you know? Um, it is very, you know, like I said, it, it's, 
its idea of consequences are like a character dies and it's like that's a very like advanced dungeons and dragons of like oh this is a tough campaign because your character dies and then you have to make a new guy but like they've made that feel even worse now that they're trying to get you to invest all this emotional energy into conceptualizing your character and how they think and feel and it's like hey you gotta make a new one of those like that's how you get the murder hobos is because every single new character is just like a new mechanical frame to just to to like allow the player to keep doing the thing they were doing which is mostly stealing things which is mostly like killing things and acquiring items because when your character keeps dying there is no like ability for you to tell a narrative or do consistent role playing you know yeah absolutely um that's why the that's why the famous D&D joke is like oh, our ranger Devonor died and we went to the tavern and met a new ranger whose name was Bevanor. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I don't know. Because I, I feel like this game is, it's almost like trying to have its cake and eat it too with two eras of D&D. Because, like, the mechanics are extremely just 5th edition D&D with, like, a bit of influence from 3rd uh, and 4th. Um... But the tone, it seems like it's trying to go for, like, these really old-school first-edition games that are just about, like, yeah, your characters are going to die 50 times. It's it's kind of like a roguelike. It's about going down into the dungeon and seeing how many rooms you can clear and seeing how much treasure you can extract from it and whatnot um, in these ways where it's just, like, you're trying to get a high score, so to speak, but death is always around the corner. And, uh... It just, those two don't necessarily work together well at all. And because it's a new system and not just another edition of D&D, they had an opportunity to try to, like, do things that would effectively bridge that uh, gap. Instead, like we've mentioned, it's all just like, you know, uh, you get killed and then you have to make a new character. And there's like this whole system that is literally called the Shadow of the Demon Lord. And it's about like the forces of the apocalypse looming and growing stronger. And you roll on a chart to determine like, you know, what types of bad things are happening. Um, And even that, it's like, well, that's a theoretically cool system. But mostly what it just seems to like result in is oh, cool, now, like, in these contexts, you suffer one bane on your rolls. Mm-hmm. Because there is just, like... There's neither... There's, like, no framework for, like, thing interesting things to happen fictual, fictionally that will impact your campaign as it's running, and there's, like, a bad system for them to impact your campaign mechanically. Yeah, absolutely. And And again, like, I think that this... This is something that, like, a Forge in a Dark type system could have done significantly better because so much of that game is about being an institution and a very precarious institution. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, that seems like it's right at home in this, like, world that's on the brink of apocalypse and chaos. Um, yeah. But the only way that they can conceive that here, because you are an atomized adventuring party as much as it's tried to place you in a world, is that, again, you now suffer d6 penalties to your roles because there is a powerful organization that has been corrupted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Um, 
don't know, just a lot of things that I just don't, like I said, it falls into, it falls into either, I can see what you're going for here, but it doesn't work, or like, I disagree with the entire premise of what you're trying to do, because it won't work. Absolutely. Um, can we talk about something that, and I hesitate to use works here, um, but works more than the other stuff? Something I like. Something yeah. I enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. It's game. very possible to have a lot of fun with this part of the game. Yeah. And we are referring to, of um, course... Character build? Classes? Paths, I think is what they're called, technically. Yeah. Like, so, I think this is where it departs most radically from Dungeons & Dragons, because, like, a Dungeons & Dragons character is, like, I have chosen, you know... I am choosing a class, yeah. you know, and I'm and I'm going along that class, and maybe I will take a prestige class or multi-class, mm-hmm. but like that is unusual. Whereas, like every character in this game is kind of built out of interlocking layers of like their ancestry, their starting, their like basic path, their advanced path, and then their master path, which are like different character options that give you bonuses different bonuses at different levels yeah and you're supposed to like layer them into each other to create like the concept of your character can i I feel like can i ruin Mm -hmm. this for you a bit oh boy sure this is is just taken from fourth edition dungeons and dragons this is classes into um god what's the second one called um it's not prestige classes. Um, you know, you can look it up. The things that you get at level 11 in 4th uh, edition Dungeons and & Dragons and in Epic Destinies. Um, I think it is a very interesting take on that. And it certainly is, like, much more fundamental to determining, like, the trajectory of your characters. Um, but it's it's an iteration on a good idea from another system. Fair. Yeah, I... I liked it. I, Paragon I, I, Paths! Oh my god. Oh, it just came to me. The middle one is called Paragon Paths in 4th edition. Sorry, please you. go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I liked the... I kind of... I, I did like this idea of, like, selecting your... Like, selecting your different paths that kind of, like, fit together. And there are some obvious ones, you know? Like... Mm-hmm. You can pretty easily be like, okay, I want the priest, and then the cleric, and then I want, like, the whatever the king shit. The chaplain. Like, just make me the fucking priest who does healing stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I liked in, I liked when I was making my character the feeling of like, okay, here is the general idea that I have, and now let me look at the available paths and be like, which one of these most effectively contributes to my idea? And yeah. the way that I, like, the way that the the different packages that I chose kind of, like, modified my idea until I, like, finished it. And I thought that was a cool experience, which no, I enjoyed. I, I agree 100%. Um, I think that it branches off in ways that, like you said can be really obvious but can also just be really fun because like there's just four of the basic paths it's just you know the classic warrior rogue priest and mage um but then when we get to the expert paths there's like four each 
that are kind of like associated with each of those four bases, but you don't necessarily just have to do um, mm-hmm. exactly those. Um, so it's like, you know, you could start as a fighter or warrior and then become a paladin, which is one of the faith paths. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's cool like that because um, there's just like a bunch of different ways to make your character your own and like give little spins on what starts out as like a very basic broad archetype. I also feel that I also felt that there was like a good like I felt at least like my the different these different packages like the earlier ones did not become useless as like you're going through the levels like my entire build you'll see when I talk about this character is based on like a basic ass like a basic ass ability from like my human ancestry and from my rogue basic path and those Mm -hmm. just continue to be good as I use them throughout the game it's not like well, I've got everything from the basic path. Now I'm going on to the advanced path to get the real stuff. Everything, well, at least in the ones I chose, everything felt like it was contributing and was helpful. Yeah. No matter whether I'm at level 2 or 10. Yeah, like notably, so it's like a, it's a 10 level game. You start at level 0, interestingly, without mm-hmm. one of those basic paths at all. But if we're looking at one of these like basic paths, like Rogue, you get Rogue-specific stuff at levels 1, two five and eight Mm -hmm. um as an expert you get it at three six and nine and then for your master you get it at seven and ten so like obviously and then for your ancestry you get bonuses at at four zero and four yeah um so it's it's really cool there because like you know you still get stuff from being a warrior or a priest or a rogue at level eight out of ten um and these are often things that can like really make a whole lot of difference. You don't just, like, stop meaningfully being a rogue once you graduate from it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I liked that. I like that sort of vibe. Now, yeah. I have to have to caveat this with an experience that you had, which was, like, <laughs> I want to I, I give you the opportunity to talk about the absolutely, like, broken magic scaling, because, yeah. like... I know you had to alter your build significantly <laughs> because of problems you had with like yeah. power power growth that just didn't work. Yeah, oh. so um and I wanna this is one of those places where I most want to like toss on the disclaimer of like we haven't actually played this game. Um we have just looked through the book and maybe there's stuff that we're missing, maybe there's stuff that we're misinterpreting, maybe there's stuff we're assuming that doesn't really like pan out in play. Alright, that disclaimer out of the way. It seems like one thing that this game has also brought in from D&D is being, like, really poorly balanced while also being a game that, like, structurally cares about balance. Again, if you're playing, like, a Power by the Apocalypse game, it doesn't really necessarily matter if your character is underpowered because there's only so much that having more power can do and you get interesting results and bonuses often from failing whereas here there are just some ideas that don't seem to work at all um one of those for example is any spells that require the target to make a challenge roll against them um which is like you know kind of the the D saving throw thing right it's 
you are firing a fireball at them and they have to make a agility challenge roll to dodge out of the way and take half damage. The problem with this is that as far as I can tell, challenge roll thresholds are always 10. Um, and there's very, very, very little that can be done to change that. At most, you can give your target a bane when they're rolling on it. But mm -hmm. the example that I was using throughout this, um, th this process is that like one of the most highest level spells in the game is called um, Fire from Heaven. It's like literally raining down like, you know, Fire from Heaven that is going to cleanse the sinners and, you know, burn away the, the dark demons and shit. Um, it does 76 damage. Great. Um, we have here a small demon who is supposed to be an appropriate challenge for like a level three party. Uh, he has plus five to his will, takes half damage from spells, and makes rolls to resist spells with a boon. So he is rolling a plus eight. He needs to make a ten. And if he does that, then he cuts this damage by a three quarters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, wait, I don't like it seems so just weird that it doesn't scale. Yeah, um, and this I, was a thing that D&D &D Extremely had, which was like, <laughs> the the higher level you were, the tougher it was to resist or dodge your spells. Like, mm -hmm. just period. Um, yeah. And it's so weird that this game doesn't have that. Yeah, there's like, you know, there's some that make you make an intellect attack with your spell, uh, but it just seems really arbitrary about like, what counts as you making an attack and what counts as them making a challenge roll to resist it. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned that this had really affected my build path because I had started kind of making like a priest mage hybrid um, and then just realizing it like, oh, unless I really like go whole hog into this um, and become like someone who does spell damage as my primary way of being then it kind of just seems like it's useless and I only get to do it like twice a day and they resist it and take a quarter damage. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to like kind of shift over to being a priest slash warrior hybrid. Um, and it's it's so wild that like these basic uh, mechanical uh, imbalances still persist in a system that is structured to care about those imbalances and have those imbalances matter a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I did really love the character build that I ended up with too. So, you know, I have my gripes with how this game is, um, you know, with, with how some corners of the, uh, build options operate or don't operate, but uh -huh. it does seem at the very least, like you can kind of just like learn to avoid those. Um, and I'm really happy with my build and I feel like you're happy with your build too. Um, cool. do you want to talk about this busted ass setting? <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So I made a tweet on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. And it was a tweet about this game. Uh -huh. Um, it's a tweet that I definitely have right in front of me and I'm not Googling right now. The no, tweet... I, I totally get that. Cause like you never vamp on podcasts and never you never do things to buy time. 
And I'm not buying you time right now, because I know that you yeah. have the tweet pulled up right here. Because I literally have it pulled up right now. I'm oh, looking amazing. at the tweet right now. And all right, all right. you definitely don't need to buy more time for me. Uh, but I can't stop vamping. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, what's the tweet? So, yeah, so I made this tweet while reading this game. And the tweet reads, <clears throat> Tabletop RPG guys will be like, Okay, here's my page of rules governing how long it takes to put on and take off various types of armor at various dexterity and nudity embarrassment levels. Huh? What's my setting called? Uh, what about jerth? Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, and, it's and dear worth. dear listener, I cannot stress to you enough that the name of the planet in this setting is called Earth. Mm-hmm. With a with a U. Um yeah. And it continues to kind of be like this. Um Let's let's talk about American propaganda. Let's do it. There is literally an empire in this game that. Mm -hmm. Do you have that other tweet pulled up? Because you you found this other section about the empire. Oh yeah 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 okay yeah I got I got you. Um I def I definitely have that tweet for sure. Oh, yeah. And I, w- I won't need to scroll back several days on my Twitter to find it. But so, like, there is an empire in this game that mm-hmm. covers the entire continent that is at play and has done horrible and in, like, unredeemable things in the maintenance of its own imperial power. But mm-hmm. in the game itself... In the narrative of the game, it literally says, with like, the Empire has been a force for progress and innovation. Yep. And without and it, things would be much worse. Without the Empire, the continent would remain trapped in a far darker age. Um, we, we alluded to this before. The Empire made a slave race of orcs that it used as, like the racialized, like, shock troopers of the Empire to do all of its war crimes, to, like, take over this entire continent and push, like, all of these indigenous uh, civilizations that live there, like, just in drive them into extinction or, like, out into the border reaches of, like, the, the, the farthest edges of the continent. Um, but listen, without it, we wouldn't have iPhones. Exactly. This is, like, straight up... There was a clip that was going around, literally, of an American newscaster being like, what, okay, yeah, maybe the CIA has intervened in, in, um, has intervened uh, thousands of times all over the world to topple other countries, like, democratically elected governments, um, but we've done so much good, also. Yeah. Um, Like, literally... We also talked about this with Lancer, like the idea of like a, an empire, a hegemon, which is like so difficult because they've done all these bad things. But like, really, they've also contributed a lot of good in the world is like prime level American propaganda. And this game just like does that without blinking at you. Yeah, it's, it's also like I don't think it's like directly stated to be causal, but I think it's definitely like correlated that the fact that the empire is collapsing, the fact that the slaves revolted and assassinated the emperor um, is like 
kind of seen as, oh, you, you, you think you're doing something good, but you're just playing right into the hands of the Demon Lord because now the Empire isn't around to stop it. Yeah, multiple times, multiple times it says, um, the slave revolt could have been inspired, could have been, like, secretly orchestrated by this villain, the Russians, or this villain, the Chinese. Yep. Like, um, and it's, it's also just like, uh, well, now that the Empire is dying, it's, it's not like giving rise to a situation where a bunch of new societies will... Uh, emerge and maybe some of them will be more equitable and some of them will be more compassionate it's just like no no no. because the empire is dying the world is now also ending the countryside Um, is on fire there are roving bands of of slaves uh bad (laughs) there are roving bands of rebelling (laughs) slaves but bad stop (laughs) cut it out oh my god yeah it's so weird um and like i again i you see the thought processes that led to all of these, um, which are that, like, oh, well, I want to do this, like, dark fantasy that's on the brink of uh, an apocalypse. And I also want to have, like, these, you know, uh, gross, dark ancestries that you can play. But I also don't want to make them fully gross and dark. So, like, here are options for, like, making them nicer, and here's, like, sympathetic backgrounds. But what that just ends up doing is resulting in a situation of, like, you know, it's bad that there was a slave rebellion and, mm-hmm. you know, you we, are now playing ab- right into the hands of demon Russia. Uh-huh. And we've talked about, like, we've talked about, like, the racialization of certain fantasy races. For example, orcs mm-hmm. as, like, um, these racist caricatures of, like, African people and... Yeah. um all this shit that's going and like all of this stuff that's going on in this setting with like the orcs as beings that are created to be chattel slaves is like bro read a fucking book robert (laughs) like (laughs) it's just so it's so bad and it is so like i i want to say like the word that i want to say the most is like ignorant because it's just like you don't you've no idea what the fuck you're doing. You're just kind of like scrabbling in the dark and like yeah. grabbing a big old handful of fantasy racism and being like, "Ah, yes. Perfect for my game." <laughs> it's really funny cuz like we've spent a number of recent episodes just being like, "Bro, you don't need to make your game communist. Please stop. Please stop trying." And it's like, "I stand by that." But at the same time, like, if there was anything that was going to be, like, one of these be careful what you wish for moments, it's this. Your choices are not, like, fumbling, fumbling, vaguely anarchist, um, like, this, like, idea that you have to put in, like, a fumbling and kind of imprecise, like, anarchist polemic or just, like, turn the dial on the big racism button. You know, those are not the only two options. For sure. Um, I did make a joke that it was refreshing to read just a straightforward racist tabletop after so <laughs> yeah. many months of of uh, of well-intentioned trying too hard uh, yeah. left tabletop guys. Just, just a good... going to do a quick control F in the game book. Oh, did you look at that? No results found for mutual aid. Oh. <laughs> I now I did um I did do one. What did I search? I don't remember what I searched. Huh. Never mind. 
cut this out. Cut this out, yeah. Cut this out. I don't remember it. This is not um, a podcast. Yeah. I don't know. The setting is just like... It's a lot of... There's a lot of pages for something that is just like... Stupid and bad. Yeah. Um, there are fairies. And the fairies that tried to resist colonialism have turned evil. Ooh. That's right. Isn't, um, isn't it isn't it bad when you try to resist colonialism? No, it's good. No, it's, it's bad. You turn no. evil. No. You be- you become Your corruption fucking... score has gone too high, and now you're doing racism. You've become like the fucking Dark Eldar or some shit. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of absurd. Um, can I talk briefly about the way that faith and magic work in this setting? Oh, yes. So, first off, just one of those classic disconnects where it's like, here are two um, sections that are, like, right next to each other, um, which is the section of the, like, setting that tells you about, like, magic is real. It is quantifiable. It's something that is, like, broken into these discrete traditions, which, like, by the way, I'm sorry, Hydromancer is not a tradition. <laughs> I could buy, like, you know, priest of the sea god who prays for, like, favorable winds and whatnot, but Hydromancer just being, like, guy who does water damage with his spell attacks is so, like, clearly a mechanical construct and not a magical tradition. Oh, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to say real quick, uh, yeah. fuck a big D&D spell list with all magical traditions, like, fuck that. Like, classes are interesting because they are, mm-hmm. like, a dense group of features that you take all at once that, like, convey a mechanical idea. The gunslinger is a character class that gets a six-shooter and fires yeah. the six-shooter real good. If there was a list of six-shooter spells that I have to, like, <laughs> choose from piecemeal based on, like, this loose idea of these are the gun spells, it it sucks. I hate this. Yeah. Um, and this game really wants you to get some magic shit going on. It does. Um, it does. Um, like, and there's just a bunch of places in that that just feel really weird because, like, in addition to that idea of magic being real and magic being D and D spell lists, it also says that like the gods are distant and some people don't believe in them and they don't seem to concern themselves in the affairs of mortals. And it's like, wait, no, but I saw the part where the gods are constantly just granting spell slots to people who worship them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just like, there are so many points where it seems to just do things because D&D did them, um, and it can't understand an idea of magic or an idea of faith that is outside of those confines. Like, here's a nice example. Um, there's one religion called the Cult of the New God, who is kind of like slightly sinister Christianity analog, um, and they have lots of beliefs about like the sanctity of the soul and how like you should never um uh you should never like violate that sanctity and it says here like anything circumventing circumventing the migration of the soul is an abomination undead spirits loosed from the underworld efforts to extend mortal life through magic and the like draw the hateful eye of the demon lord all right well there is also the life domain in this game which has a resurrection spell at the end of its spell list. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you better believe that the cult of the new god, one of the, like, traditions that falls within their faith, and so, like, you know, you're encouraged to take spells from it if you are an acolyte of a new god, is life. So it's like, wait, that doesn't count as circumventing the migration of the soul? And it's like, no, we, again, we know where this comes from. It comes from the fact that clerics have healing magic. Everyone knows that. And it also comes from the fact that, like, the Christian analog religion will have these hardline beliefs about the sanctity of the soul. At no point are those two thought of at the same time, because it's all just, like, wearing influences on its sleeve really uncritically and just dumping them into a big pot. Mm-hmm. I'm beginning to feel like there is a... And we talked about this, I think, when we did the Eclipse Phase episode, but I feel like there is a tendency to just kind of, like, throw a bunch of stuff into a pot when making a tabletop setting. Um, Mm -hmm. With the idea that, like, yeah, the players will iron it out um, in a way that does not... uh, That is not very good for for us looking at the setting, like, critically as a a work of fiction. Yeah, Um, and again, I... I liked that in Eclipse Phase because I thought that the individual things that they were throwing into the pot were very often interesting and fun and, like, good beats for characters. But here it's just a problem that, like, it's throwing stuff into a pot and then the stuff that you're throwing in also just isn't that interesting individually. Mm-hmm. But character creation is cool. Yeah, I liked I liked making a character here, but uh, if I had liked it slightly less, we wouldn't have done this episode. Yeah, um, oh. it does seem though to like have a bit of that problem uh, inherent to like powerful martial builds in three point five D anD D and things like that, where it's like building the character is super fun coming up with these combinations of like I I have this ability from this path and this ability from that path and that lets me, you know, roll this type of thing and have this type of super mode and whatnot. That's all really cool. But in practice it's just like, well, I kind of just do the same thing over and over again. And the game doesn't have that much to do besides these like involved combat encounters. So I'm going to be using this build that was really cool to to think of and to progress through in the same way repeatedly and repeatedly. How did you figure out my entire character? <laughs> <laughs> womp womp. She, she is extremely optimized around doing the one thing she does really strong. And yeah. that, was, that was a fun kind of like puzzle to solve, but I don't know how great it would be to play. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to tell you about her all the same. I would love to hear about her all the same. All right. Let's, uh, character segment. Yeah. So let's, let's do your character first. Cause I think that like your character and we discussed this briefly kind of like finds my character. Mm-hmm. So let's meet our daring protagonist first. Yeah, um, I was wondering in terms of format, if you wanted to do like, because you rolled on all these tables, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't remember exactly what I got. Okay, but... never mind then. <laughs> all I, right, chill. I recorded my, um, I recorded my results. I thought it might be interesting to see like what we got and how we stitched these things together. Um, but if you oh, don't, oh no, shit, 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 shit! I got it. I have my, uh, I wrote down my results here. All right, hell yeah. So, 
yeah, let's so let's just like go over our table results, basically. Yeah, um, let's do it. So, my character, her name is Noelle. Um, she is a she is a human girl. She is um, what did I get? I got a um, I got a range for age because it won't tell you an exact age. Uh, sure. but she is an adolescent. Uh, which is 12 to 17 years old and I think I'm I think I made her 17 um, okay. but her um, yeah so she is a she is, so she's a 17 year old girl she has the the background result I got was you did a great deed and are a hero to the people in your hometown um, her personality traits that I got um, her like positive trait was idealistic her negative trait was sullen. Um, and then, like, kind of the human personality that I got said, you put your interests and those of your friends above all else. Um, her religion is um, cult, uh, belonging to the cult of the new god. Um, and her build was, like, I combined two results into her physical build, which is, like, slender and average in appearance. So her, as I said earlier, her ancestry is human. Her novice path is rogue, um, with the background of, like, having trained with a group of scouts, bandits, or rebels living in the wilderness. Um, her cool. expert, Her expert path is a spellbinder. Um, the background of uh, your natural talent for using magic revealed itself in your ability to enhance your weapons. Um, and her master path was gunslinger, um, with the background that a companion or patron urged urged you to follow this path. Um, you have you have made such a perfect shonen protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so fucking cool that we just like receive these like uh, uh, suggestions to do everything like dark and edgy and apocalyptic, and you're just like, what if I just do a really cool shonen protagonist? <laughs> oh, she's perfect. She has a magic. Gu- she has a magic revolver, and she's really good at doing it. Um, Amazing. So yeah. Tell me about like the the basic sketch of your character. Yeah. Um. So I can first read off what I got on each of these uh, charts for Clockwork, which is my ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um. First one is age. Um. I rolled. What did I roll exactly? Five, which means you are a new Clockwork, five years old or younger. Okay, great. Um, you are uh, 18 on the next one. Built for an inexplicable purpose. Mm-hmm. Increase one attribute of your choice by two. Very interesting. Next one. Um, your size and form. Just a humanoid clockwork. Six feet tall. Weighs 300 pounds. Clockwork appearance. Heavy rolled a guy. 17. What's up? Heavy guy. Oh, you can be a much heavier guy. <laughs> Damn. There's there's clockworks that are large size and weigh seven hundred fifty pounds, um, and I I you know I don't think that this is like a particularly large clockwork. It's just that like, you know, she's made of of like metal and gears and shit, which is going to be denser than a human of the same like mm-hmm. volume. Anyway, appearance uh, seventeen. Uh, you have an ornate body festooned with etchings and ornamental jewels. Interesting. Background. Uh, So this one worked really well with the age. 
if you recall, five years old or younger. Mm -hmm. Um, And this isn't like, you know, child, right? Like the way that these clockworks work, just very briefly as a digression, is that they're like robots that souls get plucked into from the underworld. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're like animated as long as the soul is in there and as long as like a key on their body is turned a certain way. Uh Um, So it's like effectively this is an adult and it's a question of like, well, how long has this adult consciousness been in existence? Um, anyway, um, clockwork background. I rolled a three, which says you spent one D 20 years in a dormant state. (laughs) And if you'll recall, I'm between one to five years old. So most of this, most of this being's life has been in a dormant state so far. Interesting. Where can we go with that? (laughs) And last bit, um, clockwork personality I got a 14. You were made to serve. You commit your existence to aiding others. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, I think that this has led to a very, very interesting character. But mm-hmm. um, I would love to learn a little bit about uh, Noelle first. And if you have anything else about like her personality and background that wasn't yeah. covered in that. Yeah, so I, I actually have extensive personality and background yeah. write-ups. Um, so yeah, for her starting professions, um, we, 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 um, we mentioned that the, um, we mentioned that, like, you, you get kind of a ridiculous amount of professions. Uh, so when I rolled for Noelle's professions, and remind you, she is, se- she is 17 years old. Um, mm-hmm. her, so she got the professions, uh, pilgrim, grave robber, and shopkeeper. Oh, I love her. <laughs> so I was so like, cool. So I was like, okay, how do we build this? How do we stitch this together? And the way I stitched this together was that, like, when Noelle was younger, she lived in a town that was sort of, like, very, like, strictly controlled by the cult of the new god and its church, right? Um, the kind of, like, town's lifestyle was kind of, like, modest to poor, but there was kind of a very famous graveyard with many mausoleums for, like, influential families and heroes in it, right? Um, mm-hmm. All of which were, like, um, you know, very, like, richly adorned. Uh, so by so by day, Noel was, like, a shopkeeper's assistant. Um, but by night she broke into the graves in order to steal trinkets and gold and things like that to like sell on the black market in order to like make money to eat and to support the people around her. My Um, character with her like jewel adored body is just sweating bullets. right now. Um, so, uh, that was like an okay life for Noel. Um, but her crime was revealed one day when the town was attacked by demons and she ended up using a kind of like holy symbol that she had found in the tombs to defend herself and like drove back several of the demons. Um, so this, like she was hailed as a hero by normal people who were like, wow, you, you've discovered some kind of magical power. That's so cool. Uh, but the church kind of obviously knew what she had done. Um, and they sent her on a pilgrimage, which was really like an exile. Like, mm-hmm. go to these holy sites with your ho- fucking holy symbol and uh, don't come back. Like, ever. Um, <laughs> so now she kind of, like, travels the world to these different holy sites of the Church of the New God. Like, looking yeah. to, like, learn more about the world and kind of, like, reconcile the 
difference between the really strict ideals that she was taught and kind of like the reality of what she sees that it like takes to to live in the world oh my Um, god would you believe that we've once again made two characters that are super compatible with each other (laughs) so like in terms of her person defeated in terms of her personality you know yeah i got this like combination of like idealistic but sullen and kind of like very inwardly focused right so she feels a deep conflict between like the ideals that she was raised to believe and like the reality of the world around her um Mm -hmm. she feels like that she was told that there is this like one path of life that she had to take and as long as she did that it was good like everything would be good for her morally and spiritually but also like she wasn't eating without grave robbing so yeah uh what so what is that about um She kind of feels like, am I doomed? Am I fundamentally doomed as a person because of the things that I've had to do? Um, And she's also like, keep in mind, she's also 16. So like normal, uh, the normal angst of a 16 year old combined with like a 16 year old grave robber. um, Just kind of leading her to be kind of like sullen introspective she's kind of wary around people she's really slow to like trust and make friends um she likes people who she kind of like has this thing where she likes people who have flaws like if someone is rude or like sullen or like angry or something like that to a degree she feels like more warmly towards that person than somebody who seems too friendly or open um Mm -hmm. because she's she you know with the first kind of person she's like okay i know what your problem is but i don't know what your problem is like friendly smiley nice guy like i don't know what you're hiding from me and that makes her suspicious um that makes sense one one thing that i i think um one thing from the character creation that worked out very well for me um, is that, like, every character is supposed to have, like, an interesting uh, thing with them, right? Um, and, uh, which is, this is kind of, like, taken from a lot from Dark Souls, where it's, like, your character has, like, a little trinket. Um, so the, like, thing that she has, uh, which is, like, something that she found in one of the tombs, is, like, a, like nondescript but kind of like a really solidly made locket um which was empty on the inside except for like an inscription of her name which oh, shit. which she found and was like okay all right that's fucking weird um so it is like unsettling and weird but is kind of like her one in a way it's also comforting to her to think that like all right, this might be like some sort of artifact that indicates that I have some kind of significance as a person. Um, And she feels like if there is this like mystery of why this locket has her name, she is, she can't be like an insignificant person who is doomed to die and go to hell, you know? Um, So she kind of like, so she kind of like keeps that secret to herself um, very dearly and guards it very well. Um, and she's otherwise kind of, like, not really attached to anything else that she owns, where she's like, you know, if if I lose it, I'll scrounge it up from somewhere else, you know? She's not super attached to her possessions. Um, mm-hmm. 
and you know she's more just kind of like holding on to this one thing and looking for the answer to this like mystery of what the hell this locket is and she feels like maybe maybe she is undergoing some kind of test which she can succeed and then like figure out what it was all worth um and then the final personality note that i have is that like she kind of like hates up hates hypocrisy and is like um suspicious of authority and like people people who have power and are supposed to be like the nice the you know the nice and good people oh jesus a cat has just jumped onto the desk hey buddy no (gasps) don't holy shit oh my god he's just deleted my entire character sheet no (laughs) can you like control z it yeah i can okay Ah, oh, holy shit, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> the cat's just like, fuck Shadow of the Demon Lord. Ah, uh, wait, will you sit on my lap while I record? Yeah, hey baby. I love you. Okay, there he goes. What a beautiful child. Anyway, cat. <laughs> That's right. Um, did I have anything else? Um... No, no, I think that's Noel, basically. Um, Hell yeah. I was at a great point to stop, but then the cat... How did you get down here? (laughs) (laughs) Where is he? He's gone! Why is the new cat a cryptid? That's right. Um, alright, cool. I love her. I love Noel. Yeah. Um, so can I ask you a question about her adventures and wanderings? Oh, yes. Um... I, that was what I was going to segue into, and then the cat jumped up. Yes. Uh, but yes, so the, the like, you mentioned that Noelle would, like, find Devin. Um, and I mm-hmm. think, like, my thought was that she has this, like, map that she was given by one of the priests, which is like, here's all the holy sites you have to visit, loser. Um, yeah. And so she went to one, and it was a church uh, where when she went to, like, the location of this church it was a total ghost town like yeah. nobody about church is abandoned and while kind of searching through the church the only she can really the only thing that she really found that was of any note is like this clockwork in the basement um mm-hmm. in a dormant state because it's this, he was unwound yeah this dormant clockwork um in the form of a like large devotional statue of the divine astrid mm-hmm. who is pretty much like Jesus plus Joan of Arc for the cult of the new god. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and Noel, being sort of a grave robber of religious yeah. religious things, was like, well, I'm gonna just turn this key and see what the <laughs> hell, see if the, you know anything. Yeah, and I want to be clear that this statue has, like, all sorts of, like, warnings attached to it, like, you know. I don't know, can Noel read? Um, I think she can read. I think she learned how to read. Um, Because, like, reading is specifically, like, something that um, you you have to, like, invest character points into. Oh, Um, okay. I didn't do that. So maybe Noelle cannot read, actually. Oh, my gosh. Does she just not read any of the warnings? I wonder what that's for. She's used used to ignoring ominous religious imagery, right? Yeah. Because, like, there's probably, like, ominous imagery, but then there's also, like, direct warnings that, like, you know, do the whole, like, this place is not a place of honor, nothing valuable is stored here type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, Noelle is somebody who, like, spent most of her life, like, stealing into church basements and, like, abandoned mausoleums and being like, well, I'll just fiddle with this and see what this is about. Amazing. Okay, 
So let's go ahead and from that moment of turning the key, flashback to about five years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, About five years ago, there was this uh, heretical sect of uh, new god acolytes calling themselves the Knights of the Unseen Flame. They hold themselves up in the basement of their church to complete their magnum opus, which was this clockwork that we're seeing. Um, But they didn't just want to put any old soul from the underworld or from hell into this clockwork body. What the knights believe is that all souls are created with the ability to commune with the new god, but that because you're constantly like migrating from here to the underworld and back and getting reincarnated, that process kind of like builds up interference. Um, So if there's going to be a true prophet, a true miracle worker, direct conduit to the divine, that's going to need to be a completely new soul. Someone who's never been subject to that migration. Mm-hmm. So what their plan was to do is to engrave this clockwork body with um, high archaic scripture that would block out any souls coming in from the underworld or from hell. Thus the body would just lie empty until a new and pure soul, an empty soul, so to speak, came to inhabit it. Um, think about this as like the spiritual equivalent of blocking every promoted tweet until you start seeing the really weird shit for like two follower accounts. Hell yeah. Um, so that process like took them months. Um, they would just kneel in front of the statue in silent prayer, looking for any movement. And finally, great thunder shakes the walls of the temple, snuffs all their lights out and they rush over and find a very confused and shy girl inhabiting this clockwork body. She asks, like, where am I? And they weep with joy. Over the next year, they treat her as basically a beloved daughter. They dote on her. They see to her proper moral development. Um, They teach her healing arts, at which she's a prodigy. They teach her the high archaic script, such that she can write down any revelations that she experiences. And they teach her poetry. That's one of the professions that I got was poet. Um, So that she can write these revelations, you know, with proper grace and elegance. Um, The girl doesn't like super understand what she's being trained for. But, you know, she has this like family that loves her and dotes on her. So she's accepting all of it with gratitude and good cheer. Finally, knights make it super clear what they're looking for. Um... They want to, you know, make her uh, reach out to the divine and be a prophet. Um, She's not, like, thrilled with this idea. She's very nervous about it. But, you know, after some reassurances, she agrees to do it. And she reaches out to this presence that she's always felt on the edge of her sentence. Something that she's described as a sound that's always just a bit too faint to comprehend. A shape that is always stuck to the very corner of her eye. And uh, it worked. So she falls into a reverie. She can't feel it. She can't remember it. And when she comes to her senses, she can hear the knights speaking in these frantic and hushed tones. They're talking about something called the devil engine. And soon Uh enough, she puts together that the devil engine is referring to her. And she is like, hey, what happened? Did I I do something wrong? I'm, I'm really sorry. What's going on? They don't answer her. 
they don't accept her apologies. They don't accept her offers to try it again or to never try it or whatever is going to make them, you know, less scared. Um, and, you know, she's just blurting out whatever she can. It's not working. And they hold her down and turn her key. And that means that she, you know, spends the next several years, I think about four years or so, just in her inanimate state. Um, so what did happen? Well, it turns out that when you counterfeit an empty soul to fit a body, you create this empty being that can now be filled up by whatever entities are invited in. Um, in this case, it's not the new god. It's not the divine Astrid. It is a super dense mass of damned souls that create a nuclear fission reaction within her body. A sort of radioactive antichrist. Okay, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, I decided to go pretty uh, pretty on my bullshit with this one. Um, uh, so, so it's, it's... What's up? So she spends four years in a basement, and then, like, when she next gets consciousness, like, everything is complete, like, the whole basement is collapsed and, like, yep. covered in, in dirt and dust, and probably the first thing she hears is Noelle trying to turn the key, and then, like, turning too hard and banging her hand into something and being like, <laughs> ah, fuck, fuck, Yeah, ow, like, ow. from her perspective, it's just, like, her pleading and trying to, like, you know, promise to, like, you know, be good to, to the knights, and then there's a flash... And now the basement is completely fucked and there's some stranger turning a key and saying, ow, ow. Fuck, ow. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and I, I like visual thing that I really want to hit with Noelle is that like there is like always this kind of like contradiction between like the way that she looks and sounds, which is like very like skinny young girl with really like long black hair and like. Um, a very, like, pale face and, like, someone who doesn't look like she does a lot of adventuring and yet, like, has this, like, big coat and, like, leather armor and, like, carries a gun and is, like, always swearing. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Very, like, suddenly swearing because, again, she did train with a bunch of uh, scouts, bandits, or rebels living in the wilderness. Um, Sick. And I think, you know, whoever these people are that kind of, like, taught her survival tricks and like being a rogue thought it would be very funny to corrupt this like innocent young christian girl and teach her a bunch of swears um rules she'll probably just she's like oh fuck ow 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 ow." okay so so in fact uh devon which you might be able to tell is short for the devil engine Mm -hmm. um and is an affectionate nickname that noelle probably eventually bestows upon her Mm -hmm. um her her first reaction to like waking up like that and just hearing someone like swear and say ow is like oh my god someone's in need of my healing magic <laughs> and just like without realizing like what she's doing without realizing like oh this place is like abandoned and destroyed now without realizing that like there's a bunch of warnings calling me the devil engine and saying that, like, I am never to be turned on again. Mm-hmm. She's just like, hold up, I need to cast minor healing on this poor person. <laughs> and then like, I think Noah would just, like, watch, like, her minor cut heal and be like, okay, okay. Uh, so what happened? Like, where is everybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and like, like, you know, 
Devin knows a little more than Noelle here, but also not that much. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I think that, like, probably them traveling together is this process of, like, you know, in part figuring out what the hell is going on with Devin, um, what happens to her when she reaches out to the to that, like, divine presence that she can feel, which, like, you know, I think that as soon as she sees it in action, um, Noelle will be able to tell that, like, oh, this seems like it's blasphemy against, like, everything that the cult of the new god is supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then Devin also seems, like, very genuinely faithful to and I- idealistic about the cult of the new god. Mm-hmm. Um just does not seem to like fully realize that when she reaches out to this divine presence, um, she is just like, you know, uh, the divine Astrid, like statues of her have like a bunch of knives stabbed into them. Mm-hmm. And like this, this like glowing green substance starts oozing out of those stab wounds. And she starts just repeating in the dark speech, one phrase, which if you translate it, says you will not be saved you will not be saved you will not be saved um, luckily luckily noel <laughs> cannot speak dark speech <laughs> that's right uh but that's she, right but she knows she knows some fucked up shit when she sees it yeah it's it's even if you like don't understand many of the details about this then like it's fucked up shit very very clearly i so um, i think what's really interesting is that like I think between them, right, like, it would not be, like, Devin's kind of, like, earnestness and, like, faithfulness and, like, her nice qualities, which I think would endear her to Noelle. I think it would be, like, okay, well, you clearly got some fucked up demon shit going on and, like, you know. And I I think that, like, if it's, if we're looking for more, like, a personality version of that, I think it's kind of, like, it's the fact that she's really stubborn and that, like, you know, pretty soon she's going to learn that like oh you become like the the nuclear antichrist for a a minute when you uh you know reach out to this divine presence Mm -hmm. um and she's like well i'm not gonna stop um and i think that like having that stubbornness and not just like being this you know vanishing little flower that's like no no i'm gonna do the good thing instead um like i think that that might be something that endears her to noelle as well Mm -hmm. i think like Noelle would probably like I think the their their dynamic in traveling together would probably I think due to her stubbornness and also obvious curse stuff of Noelle being like well I can't leave you alone because I did turn you on so like <laughs> I I would feel bad it's a, it's a you break it you buy it situation yeah with, this, but with like a whole this woman haunted piece of heretical technology uh, you know um Noelle's kind of like, well, I'm also sort of like a heretical presence too, so yeah, whatever. Like I used to rob graves. I used to rob holy graves for a living. So for sure, whatever. Um, we all done weird yeah. stuff. And I, I, I think that like Devin really likes Noelle as well, because um, I, I think that again, the only people she's really met before this and spent time with were these like you know, cultists that were, like, really devoted to this particular vision for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that like, kind of tried to shelter her from the actual world itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have this this friend who is, like, very worldly, very, like, coarse, um, but also seems to, like, believe in her in an important way, um, and to not, like, just 
flinch from her and run away the second that, you know, she sees who Devin is. Um, I think that that's something that really appeals to her. Yeah. Girls. Hanging out. Hell yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's talk so. stupid builds. Yes, let's talk builds. So, Noelle. She is a... She is a rogue who... She is a human who becomes a rogue who becomes a spellbinder who becomes a gunslinger. Okay? That's right. And I have built her entire build around um, a kind of like a rogue talent that she gets, which is called Exploit Opportunity. Um, An exploit opportunity reads, once per round, when the total of your attack roll is 20 or higher and exceeds the target number by at least five, you can take another turn at any point before the end of the round. So I took one look at that and I was like, okay, how do I absolutely maximize my chances of getting another turn and then using that other turn to like its biggest advantage? And what I decided to do was to give Noelle a gun. And just have her fucking speed shoot. <laughs> so, her, basically, like, I took, I took Spellbinder and Gunslinger as ways to increase the power of her weapon and both, like, pump its damage and also the amount of boons that she gets when rolling to maximize the chance that her, ro- whatever her attack roll is, will be over, um... 20 and you know five higher than this target um Mm -hmm. so i i wrote up all of the i i think i i fully tallied up like how many um i think i fully tallied up how many boons that she gets but i've lost these notes but like so so she's she's effectively just going to be getting a six on that boon roll every time yeah, because also as a human, she has a talent called Determined, which allows her to re-roll any boon dice that she gets that results in a one. So, Pretty like, cool. it's just, um, she's just rolling those dice, and if she gets the worst result, she gets to roll it again. Um, so her odds of, of you know, uh, getting exploit opportunity off are very good. Um, hey, Olivia. Mm-hmm. So, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but very briefly, um, I made a priest class that can also give you many more boons. Fucking sick. And extra d6s of damage. <laughs> sick. So, yeah, like, her... Her... Uh, so, Spellbinder, it, that's what Rogue does, basically. Rogue is, like, get boons on your attack rolls, and then get bonuses when you get boons on your attack rolls and roll high, you know? Spellbinder is a class that, like, focuses on, gives you magic abilities, and specifically allows you to imbue a specific weapon with magical power that gives you boons and increases your damage on that weapon. Um, I also, it also allowed Noelle to pick up some magic that continues to, like, improve this build, so. Pretty cool. What tradition of magic did you take from? Uh, Divination and Protection. Sick. So, for example, she has a level zero divination spell called Epiphany, um, which says that uh, you can use a triggered action, which is just like a free action that you get to make once per turn, um, to cast the spell when you make a challenge roll or an attack roll, and you roll 2d20 and use the highest number. So, she just five times a day can be like, you know what? 
I want to roll two of these dice. Um, Pretty cool. And continue to do that. Um, she guns and the gunslinger will just like allow her to make a revolver, which is like not a weapon that any other class gets. Um, the thing about revolver is it functions as a pistol, uh, except it can't misfire, which just like is a super bad thing. It's like a, a super bad rule that can happen to a pistol. Um, sure. it, it lets you load six bullets at once and just, you know, fire your six bullets before you have to reload. Originally, you have to do that. Hmm. I don't remember what original the original reload mechanic is. Yeah. Uh, but but it just seems like there's there's things like reloading and misfiring that like reduce significantly the efficacy of a gun because you just even if it does great base damage then you just kind of constantly have to pause and say okay time out I have to make my gun work again mm-hmm. whereas this not so much yeah so Noel's thing is just like I have this six shooter I have stacked a bunch of boons onto it. It deals a bunch of extra damage. I will shoot it at you. I have hit you. Now I will fire again in the same round. (laughs) You know? Um, And then when she does have to reload, she can do it as a minor action. Which means it doesn't even stop her from shooting again. Very cool. You know. um, Now why does this this 16-year-old get a gun? Um, I think it is just, like, because she, like over the, probably especially, like, traveling with Devon, who is, like, a character who knows a lot about divine magic. Like, she would come to recognize her own kind of ability to do magic. Um, and to, like, you know, fit, kind of have this practic- this practical idea of, like, well, I kind of have to do whatever I have to to survive. And what is more practical than shooting things with a fucking gun? <laughs> rules <laughs> also i gave her a big kind of like duster coat so she's a little bit of a cowboy uh, i love i love cowboy noel her official eidolon is big iron by the way because <laughs> i did go through and assign an eidolon to every single uh do not steal character that i made that did not already oh have an God. eidolon we need to we need to at some point do just like a clip show episode, so to speak, where we just like go through our, our past characters and assign things to them and uh-huh. talk about what they would be like hanging out with each other. And... Yes. I, I ha I have a lot of thoughts about how Noelle and Ryan would interact. Amazing. Um I'm also gonna go on a fifteen minute tangent where I talk about uh, our characters as basketball teams. Hell yes. Hell yes. Anyway. Um, Noel's build seems really cool. It's, so it's just, like, very based around, like, maximizing the burst DPS that she can do with her six year. Yeah, and then having, like, random utilities through divination and protection magic. Like, she yeah. can, she can, like, touch objects and learn facts about them. She can understand any language she hears and, like, tell when people are lying. She can locate objects. Oh, so she can understand when uh, Devin is just constantly shouting, you will not be saved, you will not be saved. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know probably the first time she casts that, she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's no good. It's, it's about what I expected, given the whole vibe of this transformation sequence. <laughs> um, yeah, she her most powerful spell just lets her, like, 
see through like it's just it's a div- it's a divination spell called vision which just like gives her a bunch of bonuses which is like she can see through illusions she can see through transformation spells uh she can see through objects uh she's not impeded by darkness uh she can see invisible things um you know i figured some sort of like six shooting root and toot and uh dark fantasy cowboy girl <laughs> really needed it really needed a spell to make her see real good I love her. <laughs> um, and then her... Yeah. Her it, prot- it also just feels like the perfect, like, power set for the shonen protagonist to have. <laughs> you know, like, because it's, it's not something that is, like, loud enough that it can be someone's <clears throat> entire gimmick. But it's also just, like, super versatile and, and you can make a lot of good scenes out of it. She also has a protection spell called Evade, which... Um, uh, whenever she, uh, whenever she gets hit, or just, like, whenever she wants, she can move, like, up to several times her speed away. So, she can zoom, if she needs to zoom. (laughs) Uh, hell yeah. Um, I think that she, she's gonna work really well with, uh, Devin's mechanics. Which you should tell me about, in my humble opinion. Okay, so, first off, couple things. Um, my path structure is construct into priest into oracle into three question marks stay tuned for the end of the episode oh yeah um and i forgot about um, this (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) three possible options here right um and i think of it as like three ways to resolve her personal quest so to speak if uh noelle is the protagonist so priest Kind of just like, you know, your basic healer support type person. Um, Clockwork has an ability called Grind the Gears, which is really cool. um, You can increase the number of actions you use on your turn by one. When you finish your turn, roll a d6. If you roll an odd number, you become an object at the end of the round. Um, I don't think she's going to use that necessarily like every round, even though it has a positive expected value. Um, Maybe if we're like imagining that they're part of a larger party, right? But I wouldn't want to just, like, effectively take away half of Noelle's actions by just doing that every round. It's okay, she um, can get other actions. Oh, shit. She <laughs> Wait, do these two work together really well or some shit? Uh, she would have to take a gamble, right? So, like, mm-hmm. if, if Devin ever went inactive, it would be a gamble between, like, okay, do I try to fire and get, and, like reactivate Devon for free and or and like run the risk of having no Devon for a round or like do I just give up on my bonus turn to to guarantee okay. resurrect Devon uh, which I think okay, is a fun know, dilemma you know how we talked about how like the mechanical framework of this game it's like you build an interesting character but then you kind of do like the same shit over and over again it's not very interesting mm-hmm. I think we might have just accidentally created like a really cool play pattern between these characters yeah we're really good at what we do, is the thing. We are so, we are never punished for like just coming up with what we individually think would be coolest, and then just surprise, it turns out we make the perfect pair. <laughs> um, yeah. So like she she has a bunch of like heals and minor buffs. Um, she can spend like her reactions a lot to just you know grant boons and and bonus damage and whatnot to to her allies and herself. 
Um, Oracle is interesting because it's like a spellcasting class that doesn't really care about spells. Um, like mm-hmm. you gain extra power, you learn extra spells when you take them and whatnot. But its main thing is this ability called Divine Ecstasy. Um, it is specifically the class that is about getting possessed by a supernatural force. Mm-hmm. So use an action to enter a state of Divine Ecstasy that lasts for a minute. You gain a bunch of benefits like plus 10 health, immune to a bunch of status effects, uh, damage buffs, uh, accuracy buffs, defense buffs. And then when you end it, you uh, have to succeed on a will challenge or gain one insanity. Um, She doesn't have insanity because she's really good at resisting it thanks to her high will score. And also thanks to the fact that she has a corruption rating from her uh dark speech uh, or sorry from her um from her dark spells hmm. uh cuz the way that these things work in this system is that whenever you learn a spell from one of these like dark magic traditions you make a roll and then your corruption rating goes up if um you fail that roll effectively but each rating of corruption that you have also grants you a boon to resist insanity so she's she's got corruption. Um, she has enough that she has a dark mark on her where she constantly emits low-level radiation, making it slightly physically unpleasant to be around her. Um, and then, like, she suffers some penalties due to having a noticeable corruption rating in, like, social circumstances. And, like, dogs will bark at her whenever they see her. Um, but I promise that she's got a good heart and she's very sweet. Yeah, she's, she, there's good in her. Oh, there's so much good in her. Um, and, and like, I like the fact that, like, her will score is very high, and that's the one that's used for, like, nice social roles as opposed to intellect, which is used for mean social roles, like, you know, tricking someone or intimidating them. Yeah, that's what, um, that's what Noelle's got. That's right. <laughs> um, and that nice social role stuff gets pretty much just canceled out by the fact that, like, it seems wrong to be around her because she's constantly emitting radiation (laughs) um and then yeah she has just you know some some of these other abilities that are basically about like um being a frontline fighter who is also an effective buffer and healer uh the spell traditions that i gave her are life necromancy and theurgy first two pretty straightforward Theurgy, if you're not familiar with that term, is just kind of like divine revelation stuff. So she has a bunch of spells that, you know, grant boons uh, through the form of like divine revelation. She has a bunch of healing. Um, Her strongest spell is called Avatar. It says divine power flows into you for the duration of spell. You take half damage from all sources, make all attack rolls with one extra boon, and deal 2d6 extra damage with weapon attacks. Um, So she's got like a huge weapon. I think that normally she uses like a glaive and then she has a great sword that is super cursed. It's one of like the artifacts or relics that's in the back of the book. Um, and that she only uses in very rare situations because it's like very obviously evil. Um, but she is like, you know, very durable frontline fighter who just goes in there and starts whacking things, but also lays down a bunch of like buffs and heals. Nice. Um, also, very quickly, 
Necromancy turned out to be such a fucking bust. <laughs> she used to have a lot more of it before I realized, you know, that stuff that we mentioned earlier about, like, spell attacks and challenge rolls to resist your spells and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but one that she does have right now is a spell called Well of Dark Power, which says a glyph appears at the origin point for the duration. When any creature in the area takes damage, it takes 2d6 extra damage. And I feel like that works very well with your thing where you're like shooting way more bullets than you should be able to. <laughs> uh, I love that Noelle had this worry of like, am I a being that's like eternal, that's like invariably and eternally damned? Um, and her new best friend is like, no, that's the one who's, who's invariably damned. <laughs> yes. It's the yeah. one with the evil mark on her that makes her emit radiation. Yeah, the one who's just like, again, constantly being possessed and whatnot. Um, by the way, the two big uh, touchstones that I use as inspiration for this are the films uh, Prince of Darkness, directed by John Carpenter, and... Um, the Empty Man, which came out last year, uh, was directed by a fella named David Pryor, um, and has very quickly infected the way I speak constantly. Um, whenever someone just seems like they're fake, I'm just like, oh, that's the Empty Man right there. He's doing Empty Man shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so I, I, I feel like these two work together really well given that they're both about, like, abusing the action economy and stacking buffs onto each other. (laughs) And it's just that, like, one of them is a tankier and healier version of that, and one of them is a more, like, pure DPS plus utility version of that. One of them has a gun. That's right. (laughs) Um, Do you want to talk about my three possible options for my um, master path? Yeah. I think we can do that and then go into questions, because if I recall correctly, one of your questions is about which path Noelle influences Devin to go down. Exactly. Um, And I do see it as, like, a question of that influence, um, because, like, each of these kind of feel like they represent a different emotional ending to her arc. Um, So, one of these possibilities is the quietly bleak one, which is Healer. Um, And in that version she kind of like loses that thing that initially made um like noelle drawn to her she loses that conviction that like fuck this like i will never stop praying even if the force to answers it every time is you know this awful antichrist um and she just like kind of resigns herself to being like a traveling healer who is not going to try to fuck with like her uh, oracular and possession stuff anymore um and it's a it's a you know she tries to keep being a good person during that ending but like there is never as much joy in her voice again um and it's it's very much just like consigning herself to the best possible option if the thing i actually want seems impossible uh the loudly bleak option is necromancer at which point she's just like, fuck all of this. You know, I'm, I'm done with trying to, like, be faithful. I'm just going to, like, embrace the fact that I am this, like, Antichrist-type figure that blasphemes against the sacred migration of the soul and raises armies of the dead and whatnot. And then the defiantly hopeful option is Miracle Worker, which is basically, like, 
Super Oracle. Um, and it's the one that, like, lets you actually turn into an avatar of a divine being and, um, you know, gives you a bunch of, like, healing abilities that you can just use at will. That gives you another super mode. Uh, this character has up to three super modes, depending on which <laughs> master path she chooses. Um, and, and, like, things that, like, give you penalties to your health, but that also just, like, embody this divine power. Um, and that's the one where it's just, like, she resolves to keep committing to this idea of, like, who she can be and who she believes she can be. Because, um, like, you know, she was told basically that, like, oh, you were, like, a failed attempt to do this important work of, like, communing with the divine. And her perspective on that, like, usually, again, she's very, like, kind of shy and sweet and, and tries to just, like, be quietly good and friendly whenever she can, but... She definitely can get her, like, hackles up and just be like, who the fuck says I'm a failed attempt? I'm just an attempt that hasn't quite succeeded yet, but I'm just going to keep doing it. And, like, the quote that I have of her here that really, like, summarizes that idea is, um, If you had faith that your God's love was real and endless and could restore all things, would you ever stop praying? Because, um, like, she just refuses to believe that that's the last word that you know, it's just going to be the Antichrist every time. She's like, no, one of these times it is going to be Astrid who possesses me. I know it. Um, and she just, like, resolves herself to continue being that miracle worker. Um, so those are the three options. And I think it's really cool that I was able to find these three that, like, represent meaningfully different places where her character would go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do we want to just segue into your question that is like, how would that happen, you know? Or like, which yeah. which path would she choose? Yeah, let's fucking do it. Yeah. Uh, Alright, my serious question. Which of the three possible master paths does she end up taking? Hmm. Okay. I'm gonna be the sappy one, right? And I think, <gasps> I think it's gotta be Miracle Worker, right? Because like... Yes! Um... Part of the, um, like, another part of character creation is that you have to choose, like, goals and stuff, like, goals and and quests that are assigned to, like, the different paths that you take, um, and the, the quest, the, like, um, quests that, uh, I got when I was making Noelle were to reclaim your old homeland and to defeat a major enemy, um, so I think she's gonna go back and shoot a bunch of church people. (laughs) (laughs) yes or like break their hold on her old town um and so i think like just based on that and her like sort of like personality i think she has to come to a point where she's like no you know what like i am i am not somebody who was like uh damned because of circumstances outside of my own will like i'm going to sort of defiantly um keep trying to live the life that I'm living and, you know, not take this shit from, like, people who have never had to gone through, who have, like, never been in my position, um, but, like, tell me that the things that I have to do are, like, bad and wrong because they don't agree with them. Um, and so I think that has to rub off on, on Devin, and I think they go back, and maybe they don't shoot a bunch of church people, but they certainly, like, get the church ousted. Yeah. Um, and, like, break its kind of hold on her hometown. Um, 
probably save it from demons a few more times. They probably shoot a bunch more demons is the thing that they do. Absolutely. Um, Um, I'm really glad that you chose that option. (laughs) Yeah, so I think a miracle worker of like, you know, of, of being a path of like being defiant and not running away from like the thing that is, that is like, bizarre and and weird and like unsettling about yourself and like um actually kind of like holding out hope that like things are gonna work out yeah and i i I really like the idea that like like you said what binds these two characters together is not necessarily like the the sweeter parts of devon's nature but it's the fact that like Noelle kind of inspires Devin to be ruder about herself (laughs) and to like not hide her light under a bushel and just be like, okay, well, guess what? Even if I do constantly like say you will not be saved in a dark speech, like grow up. I'm still saving your village. I'm still in control. And you should probably thank me for it instead of like cowering. (laughs) And I think that like, having these these moments that probably become more and more common as she's spends more time under Noelle's influence of just saying that like, no, fuck you, I am the miracle worker. Um, I think it's a really sweet way for her arc to resolve. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, awesome. Uh, I have one optional serious question that is... Uh, bait, if you chose that option, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a follow-up. Mm-hmm. And I think that for this one, the answer, we don't know, or I don't think we ever find out, is, uh, like, during the course of the campaign, is very valid. Okay. So here's a question. Is it ever Astrid? Is it ever Astrid that answers her call instead of the nuclear Antichrist? Mm. I think... I think there are times where the experience and the power is different, like noticeably mm-hmm. different, but is that Astrid or is that Devon's own control over her own powers? Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if we ever know that, but we can see like okay. I I really like that idea cuz like what the way that the like highest level miracle worker abilities work is that like you literally take on the appearance of your the god that you worship uh-huh. and so it'd be like very occasionally instead of just like you know looking like this terrifying you know nuclear demon being she just looks like the divine astrid but she then the question like a that's a human amb- woman exactly but the question that's ambiguous there is is that her being possessed literally by the divine astrid mm-hmm. or is that her belief that that is who she is um, just being so strong in that moment that she like kind of forces it into existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who knows? Sick. I part of uh, what I part of what I like about this podcast is we get to go. I don't know, man. Yeah, but this is we're not. Doing, I love it. We're not playing this. Oh, uh, hell yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have a serious question for me? Um, I do, but I would like to do your silly question. And then do my, like, silly and then, and then serious. All right. Yeah, sure. So my silly question is, what small animals keep taking up residence in the gaps of Devin's clockwork body? And how does she feel about them being there? Hmm. Um, I think there's a cute rat. Uh, 
if this is like a if this is their anime i think they probably meet like a cute anime rat in the church basement that follows them around um it's adorable and i think noelle hates the rat but devon is like that's that's a cute it's a cute rat i'm not getting rid of it (laughs) yeah She's like, listen, I don't have to worry about the rat giving me disease because as a clockwork, I am immune to all disease status effects. Great. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Noelle, not immune to diseases due to being a 16-year-old human girl. Well, listen, I'll eventually, once I get to like level 10, be able to cure diseases with a touch at will. Okay. So just hold off until then. (laughs) Try not to get the plague until then. Okay. Good. We'll we'll give that a try. Um, all right. My questions. Uh, yes. Silly question is: What embarrassing fear does Noelle have, and what did she do the first time she encountered this fear while traveling with Devin? Um, I was thinking of like an embarrassing fear that would like go well and contrast amusingly with like the fact that she is this like daring adventurer wanderer who like breaks into tubes and stuff and whatnot. Um, and I think that, like, I like the idea that she has a fear of heights and that she's like, okay, uh, terrifying ominous church basements, love them. No problem at all breaking into them. Not reading any of these warning signs, even if I learn how to read. Um, a church spire? Holy shit, I don't want it. I don't want it at all. (laughs) Um, and I think that the the thing that she does the first time she encounters that fear when traveling with Devin is, um, that, like, they are on this, like, you know, high spire to, 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 like, you know, fight someone or investigate something or some kind, kind of climactic moment. And her fear of heights, like, takes over at this point, uh, where she just kind of, like, I think her reaction to it is, um, that she ends up, like, jumping into Devin's arms like in Scooby-Doo. <laughs> it's just like, okay, okay, I feel safer here. Uh, this this feels like more <laughs> steady and less likely to knock me over with the wind. Uh-huh, because Devin, Devin is six feet... Well, here's the funny thing. Devin is six feet yeah. tall, which means she is only getting higher up off the ground <laughs> if she does this. But on the other hand... Devin is 300 pounds, so she's not going to get, like... Devin is, no, like, she's... twice Noelle's weight, probably. Yeah, she's very sturdy, very strong, um, and and just, like, also the sort of person that, like, I think that, that Noelle kind of, like, implicitly knows that if I just lunge towards the area of her arms, she will just pick me up, even <laughs> if she doesn't, like, fully grasp the action in the uh-huh. moment. And because she's nice, she's not going to make fun of me that much if I cry a little. No, I don't think so. Alright, so now for something completely different. Yes. Uh, The serious question is, uh, who was the first person that Noelle killed? Why did she feel like she had to kill them? And what was unsettling about her reaction afterwards? So I guess this is like... While while she's traveling with Devin, uh, who knows if she kill has like ever killed like uh, a sentient being like before yeah. meeting Devin, but it's like the first instance of this that Devin sees. I mean, the girl has a gun; she kills people for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that a good answer to this would be like 
a inquisitorial bounty hunter, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Someone who just operates with, like, here is a list of people who are heretics, who have, like, committed some kind of grave sin, um, and just, like, you know, there are bounties open for all of them. The church will reward you if you manage to come in with one of them. And just someone who, like, didn't seem to even, like, necessarily understand or cared about the specifics of why they were hunting uh, Noel, but it was just, like, yeah, your name's on a list, you match the description, I'm gonna bring you in. Mm -hmm. Um, And Noel just being, like, the fuck you are, and uh, getting into a gunfight and eventually killing that person. And I think that, like, the unsettling part of her reaction would be that, like, um... I think that she would just kind of be, like, kind of gung-ho and triumphant about it. And, like, a sort of, like, hey, fuck you, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and not even necessarily, like, think about until, like, the next day that, like, oh, this person was, like, hunting me because I, like, you know, committed those grave robberies. And, like, the church is still salty about that. Um, I think that she's, like, just too caught up in, like making this act of defiance against the church that is like very violent and very confrontational. Mm-hmm. I think that that's probably like a good moment to kind of plant an important seed for this idea that, like you said, she eventually comes back and just like does not try to reconcile with the church, does not try to like complete her mission to do these pilgrimages, mm-hmm. but is just like, no, you guys are getting the fuck out of here now or you will get exactly six bullets in you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Girls. I think... I love these two. I think they will get along. It's... By the way, I think it's so fucking funny that, like, our sweetest and most uncomplicatedly, like, affectionate and caring relationships are in the apocalyptic episodes. Yeah. The, the closer the world is to... I mean, okay... Hedian and Dreaming Silver were not, were not uncomplicated. Oh, sure. But, but like, th- there was a lot of complication there, but I don't think any of that complication necessarily, like, um, complicated the fact that they loved each other. Um, I don't think that, that, that it was, like, yeah, they loved each other, no, but... They're no Ivy and Maya. No, yeah, for example, those guys seem to have, like, a, a decent, successful career... Doing fine in this, you know, biggest scare quotes possible utopia of the future. Those two, those two and... were that mountain goats lyric that's like, I hope you die, I hope we both die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they are both just constantly screaming no children by the mountain goats at each other, out of key, like five seconds off from each other. <laughs> yeah. Um. But now the world is ending. And, but whenever the world is ending, you know, you can always find two girls who will be like, listen, you're a star. It doesn't matter that you scream the dark speech about how we're all doomed every time you use your oracle powers, which is frequently. You do that all the time. <laughs> you never seem to hesitate to do it. Yeah. I don't know if you know that you, like, bleed goo. Like... Well, the goo is there when she regains consciousness, so... <laughs> Oh boy! <sighs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. These two are out. these two are very sweet girls. Um, both of them, you know, have have prickliness and have meanness and problems to them. 
But as far as their relationship with each other, they're very sweet girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Is that everything? Yeah, feels like everything to me. Okay. Uh, Hannah, where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find me at HannahYolo on Twitter.com, which is uh, the second part of it is spelled Y-O-L-E-A-U. Hmm. Um, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Great Grebe. Uh, which is which is a kind of bird. Which is a kind of bird. Thank you for you've started doing it for me now. <laughs> um, That's right. Where you can find links to my other podcasts, such as Attention Duelists and uh, Novel Not New, uh, both of which are a blast to do, and I think you should listen to them as well. Yeah, Attention Duelists is really good. Mm-hmm. Please make sure to listen to that one, especially. Yeah, we're watching Yu Gi Oh. That's right. We're learning about uh, rare watch collecting and uh, the plunder of Egypt. <laughs> uh, All right. Yeah. Um, I think that's everything. Do we, do we ever have a sign-off for this podcast? No, we don't. We're one of those podcasts that kind of like awkwardly jokes about how we don't have a sign-off every time. Oh, I hate those podcasts. Okay, no, check this one out. Check this one out. This is a sign-off, so make sure to not say anything after it. Okay. Until next time, you will not be saved. 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 You will not be saved.